FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 340 Snick of the podcast that goes six. I wait. <laughs> wait can, we, can we just start that over? <laughs> that was beautiful. Anyway, I'm your host, Jason Venable, and those maniacal laughters you hear, I am joined once again straight from the cross-time capers of it, Scalabros, we have Georgie and Dan. Hey, guys. Oh. Hey. And we are here to talk about everything from Age of X-Man to Age of H-Man. Whoa. <laughs> I've been sitting on that one. What <laughs> say? <laughs> It's true, though. I'm really into Mr. H-Man. Yeah. Yeah, the age of H-Man is upon us. And uh, we will get there as quickly as we can. But we do have to clean house a little bit. Um, so, first of all, how are you guys doing? How's everything in, in your worlds? It's warm. Like, for England and the UK, it's warm. Oh, Too okay. Well, I hope you don't melt. Because I already have. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm more excited to talk to you guys about Hickman, but I also have tickets for Hobbs and Shaw tonight, so I'm like, this, this is a good day for me. Fair. <laughs> First, I'm like, Hobbs and Shaw, is that a beer? Then... Uh- no, no, it's the it's the dumb action movie with The Rock and Jason Jason Statham, but you know, it just feels like a a little country English country beer, like a oh little, yeah, uh, for sure, to, like some, something you you drink and be like, mm, I had that Hobson Shaw, it's very nice, very nice, that kind of thing. That's literally yeah. what we we talk about, obviously. When that's how exactly how we sound when we talk about beer. <laughs> Claremont understands. He does. The Struth Brewing Company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't hear Statham say that in the movie tonight, I'm going to be really upset. Are you going to see the uh, the Fast and Furious spinoff? Yep, yep. All right, cool. I uh, I lost you guys for about 30 seconds, but... um. So... Is Chris Claremont's British accent made flesh. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Well, I think first we have to wrap up Age of X-Man. And so we will turn again to Georgie to try to have synopses that are better than the comics. <coughs> well, this, you know, last time I put a lot of like effort into it. This, <laughs> this time, not quite as much because I'm just so excited to move past this. Yeah. So these are going to be a little bit shorter just so we can focus more on other things. Yeah, no um, doubt. So, so we have three issues. Uh, let's start with Prisoner X number five. Uh, writer Vida Ayala, artist German, uh, is it Jermaine Peralta and Matt Horak. Colors Mike Spicer, letter of VCs Joe Sabino. 
the cover, I mean, it's fine. There's there's lots of pink. I like pink, so I mean, there's that on the cover. <laughs> uh, the artwork inside is just the same as the artwork for everything else. It's fine, uh, I guess. But uh, in this issue, Legion continues to go crazy. And our ragtag team of prisoners are out to stop him or escape, or they're, they're trying to do something. Uh, they kind of ran out of story and filled this book with a number of, like, punchy, stabby pages. I mean, honestly, there'll be, like, eight pages in a row, no dialogue, and just, like, really zoomed out action shots. Um, and then, finally, they defeat Legion, and they're like, hey, uh, what's, what's to come next? Oh, we're all going to go after X-Men next. Stay tuned. The end. Um, it was kind of really. It was. It was. It was like two pages of story spread out over twenty-two pages of comics. It was really unnecessary. I think unnecessary is the word of the day for this event. But uh-huh. yeah, yep. Um, I flipped through this one just to kind of keep tabs on Gabby. Um, was happy to see that she's at least technically still alive, and that's about all I got out of it. Yeah, she gets a memory back, like in the middle of it, and yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> All right, moving on to Apocalypse and the Extracts, number five. Writer Tim Seeley, artist Salva Espin, colors Israel Silva, letterer VCs Travis Lanham. All right, covers maybe the best piece of artwork in the series, I thought. Yeah. Um, uh, the covers by Gerardo uh, Sandoval and Rachel Rosenberg. I kind of like this uh, uh, Apocalypse tearing off his his like fake Apocalypse uniform to be the regular Apocalypse. Yeah, it's not bad. All right. Otherwise, with the artwork, just stop. Just stop. Stop making this. We don't need this anymore. <laughs> hey, I think they listen to you. I think they're yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in this issue, we learned that X-Men struck a deal with Apocalypse so that they could put on a, a theater piece, some community theater. X-Men <laughs> pretends to be God and Apocalypse pretends to be the devil in this theater piece. Um, this way, the X-Men have something to occupy their time, is basically what we find out. Uh, it's, yeah. it's like, they got nothing to do, so can you pretend to be a villain so that they can do something? <laughs> I actually kind of like that conceit if I was actually seeing a stage play. Like, if I was seeing an well, X-Men that would be hilarious, stage yeah. play, I could get into this. As a comic book, not as much. <laughs> um, in the end, even weirder, Kitty stabs uh, Apocalypse with a menorah through the back and converts him to the leader that we all deserve in some like weird, I guess, semi-religious thing. It was odd. Uh, but he's back to like his regular apocalypse outfit and they're all like, yeah, let's go after X-Men. The end. Yeah. All right. And to be clear, nothing from this story that in any way gives a hint as to Apocalypse's role in a uh... Was it Excalibur that he's going to be in? Um, maybe there's a hint, but to be honest, my, my brain sort of phased in and out as I was reading this Fair book. enough. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. All right. I've always fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the last one here. We've got Age of X-Men, Omega Writers. Uh, i got nothing, no ideas in my brain, Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler. <laughs> Artist Simone uh, Bonafantino. Uh, colors, Chiona Farrell and Letter of VC's Clayton Cowles. Cover, uh, we've got a number of like uninteresting characters popping out of X-Men's eye. It's sort of weird that they fe- feature these characters, but uh, the cover I thought was not bad. Yeah, it's Phil Noto, right? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. hard to get a, fad, a bad Phil Noto artwork, so, you know, at least there's that. Right. 
Um, <laughs> what? Just, at least as that. I'm just like, mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. I thought you were watching something on TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the artwork goes, I feel like this may be the best artwork since, like, Alpha. So yeah. we had, like, 30 issues of, like, BS in between these two fairly decent artwork issues. So, right. uh-huh, there was that as well. Yeah, you know, I think if anything is summed this up from the from the perspective of the podcast that goes nicked, the scene that should have been important, right? The reunification of Gabby and Laura, who I've made. You know, if you listen to any of my episodes, you know I'm have no apologies for how much I adore them. Um, it didn't even really do anything or register because there was no stakes behind any of the story, and so. Them coming back together, it's like, well, yeah, I guess you told me they were apart, <laughs> but you know, whatever. Um, there was yeah. no point where they were like missing each other. They felt pangs of like lost memories, and they couldn't figure it out. It was just like they were separate. And then in the issue before that, for the respective series, they remembered, and then they have this issue where they're together. So it's like, hey, I didn't right. see you for like a day, and then I saw you. Right. So, yeah. Okay. When are you gonna get some sandwiches? Yeah, basically. I feel I feel like the whole thing could be summed up with like at the end, where someone says, to, "I'm sure it's to Jean." Like, oh, we have to unpack all this stuff that's gone happen to us, and she's like, "Well, get over it, because the other X Men are in trouble." Um, I feel like that's like the, the the crux of the whole event. It's just, it just move ends. on. Yeah, it's really just like, and, and we're we're done with this now. So uh, go back right. to where you came from. Yeah. Go go back to the last couple of pages of Uncanny, and you know we'll see you there. Yeah, there's that, and and the only thing you really need to know is that Magneto decides he's going to leave like a memory uh, of himself behind, so that X Men so can we, try again. Right. So then, in ten years, we're going to have an anniversary special of the Age of X Men. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the the other weird part, and I don't want to harp on this too much, but you know, I, I think Gina, whoever's like, we got to go back. And uh, Peter's like, yeah, but we spent all our lives here. Don't you want to stay? And I was like, no, no one wants to stay here. <laughs> and the people that do are characters that would not. Yeah. Which which really bugged me. I mean, any. I think, you know, Nightcrawler is my, my probably my second favorite character, like just period. Mm-hmm. To really just destroy his voice does not earn any points with me. <laughs> Yeah, if there was one character who might want to stay behind, it would be him if he still had his memories of his family in this world, at least. Right. Yeah. But... Blob would want to stay. Blob, get... Blob would definitely want to stay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, and a cool mustache and a hot chick. What, what, what would you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Blob was like, remember the end of his story? He was just like hiding out in an abandoned house crying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, so I, I I think my overall thoughts of Age of X Men is it's a what if book and it's what if House of M sucked. Yeah. And so there you go. Um, <laughs> you have, I don't know if you have anything else you want to say. I would definitely no. I would give Omega one out of six claws, all for the art. And you know if if Thompson really wants to burn his own issues, then go for it. Yeah, that was weird. That was very weird. Um, you know what was funny to me, though? Maybe funnier than that is all the people that were like, why don't you, you buy a comic just to burn it? 
like not even realizing he was a guy that wrote them. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> and these are probably his promo copies. I doubt he went and bought extra copies. <laughs> no, they're definitely his promo copies. Yeah. <laughs> but and I think I, I was telling you and kind of what I'll just kind of leave this is it was really hard for me to tell where the irony ended and stopped or if there was any or I just yeah. I if he knew he was being ironic or, or what he was doing, it was he was either really in on the joke to like a sickening level or so out of the joke. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, what what would you give Age of X Man overall? I guess just the whole the whole flaming thing. It's so unnecessary in every aspect. Nothing is really carried over. It's just like spinning your wheels and selling issues until Hickman was ready, I guess. So yeah. um, it's it's a one out of six easy. If like if I could do zero for an event, this would be one I would do zero because there's no <laughs> there's no point to it at all. I mean, you can have like a bad event, but they're trying to do something. This was just right. like not trying to do anything with these characters. Yeah, no, I know. I have no idea what the point was, uh, other than saying, you know. You need family, you need love. We won't say whether all family and all love is okay. We're not going to go that far, but we will say it's okay. <laughs> so, uh, Dan, anything you want to... I feel like you I probably think, skipped most of this. <laughs> I think that... Yeah, I totally just... I, I, I jumped the train because I, <laughs> I saw it falling off the tracks. Right. Um, I think it'll go down in history as a book that no one remembers much like yeah. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous because it feels like one of those x-men events or one of those comic book events where they'll have like a small core of like dedicated fans but no one will really care in the grand scale like when you look back at this time period no one's gonna say age of x-men they're gonna say hickman started you know right, what i mean they're not right. so i feel like um it'll be like it kind of weirdly mirrors uh morrison jumping on the books um in the sense of like, oh, there's so and so doing this, but no one remembers that existed at all. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, like, I think it'll have, I don't know. I just, it's a shame that so many creators were like brought in to make such a monstrosity and possibly damage their careers because of the sales of the book. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we're all ready to forget this ever happened. Yeah, yeah. So, I have right now. <laughs> so we have, after that, we have two issues of Uncanny X-Men that stand between us and House of X. Um, that's issues 21 and 22. Uh, 21, of course, is written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru Effects, letters by VC Joe Caramagna, and the cover is by Walsh Portacio and Eric Arseniega. And then 22, I believe, is almost... The only difference is we have an extra artist, uh, David Messina, who helped with some of the extra pages, because there are extra pages in 22. Um, are there? I believe so. Aren't there, aren't there like three or four extra pages? There might be extra pages in both of these, to be honest. No wonder it felt so painful. <laughs> so as far as the covers by Portatio, I actually don't mind these. Um, 21 uh, focuses on the Juggernaut 
about to charge at the camera. And behind him, we have Wolverine jumping, Havoc scowling, Cyclops sneezing, Magic yelling, and Multiples Man posing. That sounds like the, the, the 12 Days of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and then, actually, 22, I actually kind of enjoy. Um, it's definitely for Tatio. And I just realized that those are Wolverine's legs, so maybe I don't enjoy it as much. Um, <laughs> but when there's it's a uh, it's Cyclops giving a Wolverine a reach around, and they're getting shot by lasers. Yeah, if those legs were in some weird position, like the the knees down, then yeah, this might be not so bad. Right. That's why no no one's standing on the ground or sitting on. Like, everyone is floating. Kind of it's... old. Yeah, anyway. But <laughs> so in these issues, Emma Frost invents a machine that makes me forget that I read them. But oh, then nice. Cy- Cyclops blasted, and I had to remember again that some stuff happened. The X Men come back from Age of X Men, and they decide we're still at war with everybody. And. All the people that were dead will come back, but not in this book. Um, basically, Emma decides, hey, I'm going to make people forget they were mutants. There's some weird conversation about Cyclops tried to get all the non-conforming-looking mutants killed off or something. And then Cyclops decides, you know, this isn't good. We need to stand up for who we are. People need to remember us. And so he makes that happen. And then the end. Oh, and and the kiss. The big kiss that everyone's waited generations for. Um, Gene and Cyclops make out with Emma and Wolverine looking dejected behind them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the kiss kiss heard around the world, I guess. Um, But anyway. Um, Art-wise, we're okay... Had some okay panels. Not very good, though. And I could have swore that this Messina guy filled in an issue before and was okay. But somehow he managed to be, like, one of the worst artists ever on these fill-in pages. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't really care for any of this. No secret there. Um, anything I want to add? Um, so... When you make a device that makes you forget mutants, maybe it'd be easier to make them forget the hatred for mutants? Would that not be <laughs> a more interesting point? Would that not just solve your... Oh, wait, no, sorry, that's too logical. Um, and, you know, like, when you ask a toddler to give back, like, something that they've got and they decide to destroy it instead, that's what the uh, second-to-last issue felt like as he lined up all of his mutants and killed as many as he could before the toys had to go back into the box. Right. Um, yeah, we had that comment from Hickman, right, in an interview where he's like, you know, don't be an ass. When when it's time to be done with your run, put the toys back in the toy box so the next guy can, can have his, his action figures. Right. It feels like guess, it's really directed at Rosenberg. Yeah, yeah. Because guess what? The next rider is going to take them anyway. So. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and what, what really puzzles me is the second issue um, feels like it's all about leading up to that kiss, which feels to me, and I think I put it down, like editorial wank fodder. Um, especially when the way it's drawn, where it's like, oh yeah, with, with Logan 
they only put Logan in there because their pure seething hatred for Scott and Emma can't be too concealed on uh, on the page. Um, but it just feels very editorial mandated, especially when in Rosenberg's own miniseries, she let Scott die because she was over him. She'd love him forever, but she's over him. And she let the phoenix go. Yet here she's like, I'll embrace you with my tongue straight away. Rather than just like, I would have liked a hug. But then these guys like to write Jean like she's really sort of not X-Men Red Jean. And it annoys me. Um, yeah, that, and... that panel of them kissing, it's like they they took two giant globes and stuck them on where her ass should be. And it's just like <laughs> sticking out like you wouldn't believe in the most supple and, and like sexualized pose that that I've seen Jean in in a long time. And it's just this constant regurgitation of, I forgot what I was writing about, where Danny Moonstar's like, weren't you supposed to like phase out of existence if you used your powers again, Havoc? And he's like, no, Rosenberg forgot. And then um, later on, like, they kiss, but when you look at the final page, Emma and him are standing by, side by side against the world's press slash police. I don't, I don't know. It feels completely, much like Age of X-Men, it is a complete unnecessary moment because he started off with let's stand up and deal with problems and then they end on let's go to war and I'm like what was what was what's the, why just mm. that why but other than that you know it's over so that's a good thing yeah I do like the Magneto on the last page is looking at Dr. Nemesis and being like hey white looks cool I oh yeah, <laughs> that's on my notes for the Hickman issues. Right <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'm going to give both of these issues one out of six claws. I'm just, I'm happy they're over. I will probably not give much thought to them ever again, to be honest. Yeah, one out of six. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just, I was just like trying to erase them from my memory straight away <laughs> yeah i would also give these like one out of six i um i recently reread uncanny avengers uh i don't remember why i it's part of just a lot of rereads i've been doing and i was like oh yeah alex used to be and i know dan you brought this up a number of times but he used to be really competent and uh he could lead a team and he wasn't like an idiot uh, he wasn't like making jokes at himself and incompetent like he wasn't astonishing or like I'm just going to kill everything like he is in, in, in Uncanny. So it was just reminded me of how Rosenberg doesn't actually understand any of these characters. He just writes them how he wants to write them suddenly. So uh, it's been it's been a journey, fellas. I'm just glad that we, we made it to the finish. We did. We did. And we, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and the light is here now. And, you know, and obviously, you know, we're three guys with three opinions you know, um, if you enjoyed either of these books, we, our job is not to try to take that away from you. We're just, we weren't in that place. And so I think we're going to try the new direction and maybe that'll be closer to our place. And um, I don't know, you guys ready to go ahead and pivot into that? Oh, did you give a, did you give a claw rating, Georgie? Yeah, one out of six. Okay. All right. Sorry, got a little, little, discombobulated there for a second um <laughs> i thought you were crying for the end of this book for a second there, jason <laughs> i was tears of ecstatic joy um all right talking about 
talking about Xbox though, that came out recently, and you just said the words ecstatic. I really enjoyed the um, flashback to the giant size ecstatic issue with the original creators, and I'm looking forward to it continuing. I don't know if we were going to mention it, but it slipped in through the radar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I liked it. I, I love the original series. I didn't have a chance to read the the new issue, but I'm I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah, I haven't read it yet either, but I will. I I had a lot of a lot of catching up to do <laughs> on some other stuff, but um, it's definitely on my to do list. I did finally uh, finish uh, Mr. and Mrs. X, which I really enjoyed and talked about briefly on the last episode. So. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, House of X number one. Here we are in the age of Hickman. And what's it going to do? What's it going to be? So I don't know. I kind of. I don't. Who, which, are you both doing this together? <laughs> I don't really I think remember. Dan's going to take the lead. And I wrote down a bunch of, of points in that Google Doc if you guys want to take a look. Things, things I thought were interesting or, or questions. Yeah. Or... No, I thought there were really good questions in there. So yeah, let's do that. I will. I will summarize and condense this mammoth thing that dropped onto our laps. Um, that sounds <laughs> almost sexual. Um, and, Hickman, and Hickman just can, dropped down onto our laps? Is that what you're saying? Maybe. It, it feels like a revelation. Um, <laughs> but yes. Um, so while we slept, the Xbox changed for the better. Um, oh, I've left, let it slip that I already like it more than Uncanny. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, House of X number one, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Pepe Larraz, colorist is Marty Gracia, uh, letterer is VCs Clayton Cowles, and design is Tom Muller, uh, Mueller, depending on how you want to pronounce it or where you're from in the world. Uh, cover artist is Pepe Larraz and Marty Garcia, and on the cover we have Hickman's. Um, Oceans four five. Um, <laughs> as, as they march, as they march through the gateway to a new dawn, a dawn of X, as it's been coiled, coined. And I don't care for it, to Fungover, to be honest. Really? Um, I I like the design of the flowers. Um, I think Wolverine's head's a bit squished, and I do like the fact he is a midget though, like full on midget compared to the rest of the. But it doesn't sim- symbolically. I enjoy what it's trying to do, mm-hmm. but as an mm-hmm. image, I'm not fussed. Yeah, I, I agree. Symbolically, I love it. I, I feel like it's the weakest part of the artwork in this issue, and this issue is is, is just super gorgeous. But this one is just—it didn't quite. I don't know. It feels. I don't know why. It just feels off. It feels less finished, maybe. Um, but uh, it doesn't quite work uh, for me. I I enjoyed it. The only uh, the thing I would definitely concede is that for the launch of kind of a big deal, the cover's kind of not. It's almost too laid back feeling, um, in a way. Um, but overall, I liked it fine. Yeah, it's not terrible. It just didn't stick. I mean, maybe the insides are just so wonderful. It yes. makes the uh, the yeah. cover a little bit less than than amazing. This is true. So, get ready for your biblical references, kids. We're here <laughs> from the beginning to the end. That's right. right. Start, 
starting in a Garden of Eden pods, I imagine. Um, sleeky, sexy, black number with an X on his face, Xavier. Uh, or is he? Question mark that the internet is obsessed with. Um, decides to completely and literally retcon Uncanny um, by himself, by like creating, I assume, the resurrected dead people and giving Cyclops back his eye, which I thought was lovely. Um, someone, weirdly, someone, I don't know who it was, but someone was like, oh, is that Cyclops? I was like, well, he's got a shiny red eye, I imagine it is. Well, this is something we can talk about a little bit later on, but there are theories. So many theories. Anyway, yes, um, for the next five months, the X-Men do some landscape gardening around the world, on Mars <laughs> and on the moon. Um, then we move to Jerusalem, where a giant habitat and us, the readers, or the ambassadors, are uh, introduced to a four-day-old mutant nation, and everyone's very intrigued. Uh, the Inside the habitat, we have the creepy cuckoos, uh, two white, one in black. And it's interesting because the one in black is uh, the one that turned evil with Magneto in the Morrison run. So, ah. shades, shades of Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of shades of Morrison. Um, as we go on. So yes, the creepy cuckoos appear, uh, talk about the habitat and how it's a cocoon habitat, and uh, the penny drops, that's important. And our white magnetic knight appears, telling telling them that Xavier's all chill and he's their tour guide for the duration. That costume, you brought up earlier, Jason, but I'm so glad this is back. Yeah. The white costume. I like the I like the black one too, but those designs from his solo series mm-hmm. are are as much as I love the classic costume. I think they both kind of surpass it. You know, either one. So seeing the white was definitely a treat. I also adore that the redesigns for the cookies have stayed because I really like their redesigns. Yeah, yeah. those are nice. So anyway, um, so we get our first info dump, and the X Men have gone big farmer and have created their economy around three specific drugs tailor-made to go out in the world and give them a lot of cash, I imagine, and also allow them to parlay mutant freedom around the globe. What we, what is also mentioned is three seeds from Krakoa that give us teleporters and such forth, and a cancer, a tumour, should I say. Um, I, I assume we'll go into the whole, like, this seed gives him five more, years on their lives um, stuff uh, a little bit later because I think it's heavily tied into evolution which is a massive theme of both of these books mm-hmm. obviously obviously it's X-Men um, move to Jean taking some kids to Krakoa a hopeful world where Doug Ramsey is actually useful for once and Logan plays with children and doesn't send them into harm's way which is which makes a difference um, I enjoy happy smiling Logan it was fun then we have a map of Krakoa with a fancy key telling us where the House of M is, where this place where all the mutant kids are from, the, the here, there and everywhere. Um, the design work in this is, I'm going to say, a sort of amalgamation of his machine code from the creators and his East of West uh-huh. iconography. A lot of shades of East and West in here, and I'm are you okay with that? Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So next we have a lot of pages, but I'm going to really summarize it with humans doing human things in mutant stories. 
Um, but this time, they're next to the sun on a giant thing called the Forge, which is their like sort of last ditched attempt to save themselves and fight the good fight uh, inside a giant master mold. I assume this forge is right next to the Avengers solar thing that was like a giant prison because it's exactly the same design. As oh, the yeah. Design. So I don't know if it's the same thing. Or, that, or it may have been. And that was during the Hickman run too, right? That, that was... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, they talk about... That- in, in the book here that a lot of, of uh, the Orcus uh, protocol is made up of technology from a lot of other corporations that have sort of slipped through the cracks. And I don't remember if that's mentioned in this book or, or Powers of X, but they've got like AIM and SHIELD and, you know, all these tech from all these other corporations. So it, it may actually be that, that Avengers uh, HQ, you mentioned that when Reed and, like and Stark it. were missing that someone else took control of it. I do like the idea that they've repurposed it. And I think the visual image of a floating master mold head next mm-hmm. to the sun has shades of God is watching you all over it. And oh, yeah. That's a very powerful... Anyway, yes, this entire book... By the way, this book is gorgeous. Yes. Like, um, I haven't talked about the art, but it is gorgeous. Um, I'll go a bit faster, because we've got so much to talk about. Um Right, so back in dam- back in a damage control storage facility, we have a naughty mystique at stealing things with Ace Hacker Toad, which apparently that's in his skill set now after being a janitor. And um, <laughs> he, he went he to uh, a hobby. Right, right. He went to uh, uh, what's it, what's it called, like Devry or? Um, oh yeah. <laughs> technical school or? Yep, yep. He did a six month course at a technical school, and now he can yeah. code like the best of them. Of right. course, and um, not no offense, but waste of space. Uh, Psycho Sabretooth, who wakes up the place by murdering a shit ton of people. They they flee the building, but the FF turn up in pure Hickman synergy style um, to stop them. Then we move back to the uh, cuckoos, and we talk about a mutant language, which looks almost like the um, are they called creators? What are the the creatures that sort of created the universe in Hickman's Avengers? They look the, the language almost looks identical. Um, stylistically, uh, I can't remember what they're called. Oh, uh, I should. It's it's something like just the creator that he made them. They've got like the oh right right oh, right right yes yes uh, like in the Avengers world stuff. Yeah. Oh, what was so, I don't remember. I'm not liking call... it. <laughs> I don't remember because that was uh, uh, Jerome Pena drew a lot of that. Yeah, because it had the those robots and they had the gold guy and the girl that could like shadowy yeah. powers and there was the people above them builders the builders yes, the builders. yes, yes. The builders yeah Bob the builder right got it All right and straight and straight out of the greatest concept to hit the X Men uh, for a couple of decades uh, we resurrect Morrison's idea of mutant culture and what that means for the world which is intriguing and then we have a little tour of um, a myriad of ecosystems. Two Zons. One is Ultimate Zon, by the way, if anyone noticed. Um, and the other was Normal Zon. Flamey Headed Zon is definitely Ultimate Zon, or he's just randomly appeared in this book. But, <laughs> and um, we have like Magneto being Magneto, but a little bit more peaceful because he's obviously wearing white, so he doesn't want to get his clothes dirty. But he's um, he is all threatening Magneto, and he's delicious to read. I love Hickman's Magneto. Sorry, I'm just thinking about how awesome those pages are. Anyway, anyway, 
Yes. Then we go back to the FFJs. Mystique and Toad escape, and um, Sabretooth is trapped by Sue, which is all like, oh no! But then we have my favourite part of the entire book, because don't really? fear, Cyclops. Okay. Well, don't fear, Cyclops is here, because this is my favourite exchange of the book. For um, sure. Yep, he basically is a little friendly, a little passive-aggressive, and he blows everyone's minds by mic-dropping at the very end with one of the most interesting comments anyone has ever said to the FF, I think. Um, it almost feels like it's a threat, obviously. Um, the whole thing was a threat. And it feels very much Matt Fraction's Cyclops, um, who I love. And I like the fact that it's like almost like a passing of the torch ideologically and thematically from his FF run to um, the X-Men in that one sequence. But anyway, um, then we have Omega-level rankings and definitions, because people love their rankings and definitions of Omega-level <laughs> Right. No one, is... no one cares. Well, I, people seem to care. I was like, when someone says Omega-level, I was like, okay, like, superpowers, like, really powerful. That's all I needed to know, that they're just really powerful. But now we have a full-on definition. Um, and then back in Jerusalem, Magneto's little tar was actually a ruse. And after a little power play of like really beautifully drawn dismantling of a gun, um, and Magneto using the symbology of Jerusalem, he had, he declares mutant godhood over the human race. The end. Do you know what really annoys me though about this whole thing? <laughs> <Is> that... <laughs> Just like wax rhapsodic about how great this is and then you're like but you know what really annoys me and you're <laughs> negative about it and then you had to put the cherry on top of how negative you are about it <laughs> no no no, no. James, it has nothing like, to do, it has nothing to do whiplash with the book. there it has nothing to do with the book and i'm glad you liked my wax lyrical it actually has to do with the internet because that last page i specifically told jason uh-huh. and dodgy and stuff try and avoid you know try and read it beforehand because you get spoilers I literally just read it and went onto Twitter and that last page was everywhere. Oh, and that was the yes. day after, the day after it was released. I know you can't stop everyone, but I was like, that page, that panel, uh, when Mag- Magneto's declared, you know, talks, that, that sentence, which is just echoes in my mind now, um, is so powerful that if you saw that out of context, it just sounds like he's being really arrogant. I... Is it uh, less arrogant in context? <laughs> I think the way it, it's not, it's, it's, it's definitely Magneto level arrogant, but with the confidence that he has the backing of Xavier and right. the fact that he's using, um, he's, he's, yes, okay, it's slightly arrogant, but he's talking to humans in the only way they seem to understand, which weirdly ties into all of X Men, which is like the idea of symbology and. Like the idea that you need to put them in these simple terms. And when they use the word God, it changes what mutant means to a lot of people. And it changes what mutant means in the, 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 the structure of the story, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. Um, but right. before I get ahead of myself, I feel like we probably should either talk about this one or j- jump straight into power of, Powers of X. So I'm good either way. Um... There might be a few things we can talk about before we really get into to more, and maybe some things to highlight before we jump into Power of X that might sort of illuminate as as we talk about it. 
But um, I wanted to echo first off uh, that that exchange between Summers, uh, between Scott and, and the FF was wonderful. Um, I do feel like he well, does have some respect for for uh, Ben, for example, where he, you know he like shakes his hand, uh, congratulates him on getting married. Um, I don't know if this has been really explored a lot, but uh, within the FF, Ben is probably the one who could relate most to being uh, a mutant out of all, all four of them. His powers right. don't turn, turn off. He's uh, Jewish as well, so there's a little bit of, of that uh, sort of difference going on. So there's, I don't know, maybe, maybe Scott felt some sort of connection with him, but I like that he was friendly until he needed not to be. Yeah. I think it was interesting because it was like um, each character that we talk, we see and they talk have had enough. So there's like this prevailing sense of there's this imagery of hope and like a savior figure and Xavier like standing over his flock mm-hmm. um, to me, my X-Men and welcome home, Gene and all this jazz. And then like uh, Doug Ramsey saying about horrible things and don't be so cynical, sake, blah, blah, blah. And then you have these envoys, envoys, ambassadors of Kokoa who um, allow murderers asylum, who were once terrorists and mass murderers themselves, and they sit there with like this, look how wonderful we are, and look at how are you guys doing? Like we're all heroes here, and then instantly switch to, but you've pushed us too far. And we're taking what's ours. But it's a it's it's a really nice point because it's not really ex- explored a whole lot that I, I think some other books have. Uh, Red Red really at the end uh, sort of pushed and sort of resolved it maybe a little bit too quickly with uh, with the Avengers. But the X Men have been heroes for forever, and they've you know worked with uh, Spider Man and Captain America and the Fantastic Four and whoever else. But these people who they thought is like hero friends never really stood up for them uh, in terms of like society. So for him to bring it out like, yo, we've been friends for so long, but you never helped us. So how long do you think we were just going to sit down and let you all just keep beating us until there was none of us left? Uh, it was it was a great point to bring up, like how how much how valid the point is for them to be standing up and be like, look, you're not going to stand up for us. We're going to stand up for ourselves and we're going to make our own nation because no one else is going to help us out. And I really like that. I do to a point. Um, I think Cyclops definitely overreaches here. Cause it kind of, I agree. It's one of the most interesting exchanges. I think he kind of comes off as the bad guy a little bit. Oh, at, at the end of the um, exchange. Yeah. Yeah. A little yeah, bit. That's because why, that's why... Sorry. Go. No, well, because obviously in any kind of situation where you have amnesty that applies to criminals, you're setting up your own uh, talk, uh, I don't know what that word is, but autocracy or whatever it's called with no accountability and there's no way to avoid corruption. So the idea that he's like, oh, it doesn't matter if Sabretooth killed people, we're going to take him home. We're not even going to promise to do anything about it or hold him accountable when you have no right to detain him even though he killed your people um, and there's no way that that system can exist without corruption so we're already kind of planting the seeds and this is the part I think is really interesting for the fall 
of Krakoa, which obviously will get talked about later. But like, I think this kind of arrogance and lack of accountability is is building towards. While this may seem like a good idea, we already kind of know it's not going to work, and kind of why it's not going to work. Um, so to me, that's that's very interesting. Like you said, I don't, I don't know if you really can pull for Cyclops completely in this situation. Though I love, <laughs> I you know, talking about Hitman kind of taking stabs at the past run. I love that on the first close up, the eye that glows is the eye that was gone. <laughs> Oh, exactly. I mean, um, yeah, that first page right away. Sorry, buddy, but uh, everything you did, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> right. Almost like he's winking at us when he says, fair enough. I can see you feel strongly about this. Wink with my good eye. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, and then obviously the part, I mean, where he, where he talks about, you know, Franklin doesn't belong with y'all. He belongs with us. Um Maybe eventually he'll realize that. I mean, it's definitely kind of a, it's kind of a bastard thing to say. Um, but no, I definitely, yeah, and and not to spoil my feelings for both of these books, very very interesting. I think I'll really have to see where they go before I decide how much I like all of it. <laughs> if that makes sense, um, I'm very very intrigued and really enjoyed the read. I'm really curious to see though where everything lands sure. with with the trust in Hickman typically lands things very well um so that's with these issues you know with uncanny it was like stuff happening you could judge it right away i feel like you can judge your reading experience a lot on these books but because you can you can feel that something has been planned out in like long long terms it's hard to judge everything at the moment so it's right right it's, it, it's, i understand what you're saying like i'm not yeah. quite sure how i feel yet i don't know how i feel yet either but i really i enjoy at least that he's like swinging for the fences here and right he's no. got a plan in place and i i think that that plan part is the key i feel like whatever reveals do or don't happen hickman has plotted this way in advance and he's not going to change his mind mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of stuff and not I, i'm going to try to limit how much i go back to this but in uncanny i feel like stuff happened there was reaction we got reasons for why that happened that didn't feel like they were true to the original story mm-hmm. almost like almost like uncanny did stuff and then tried to walk it back so none of the revelations or spins or explanations felt sincere i feel like whatever hickman does or doesn't do is going to be what he intended to do or not do the whole time and so i think as with a lot of stuff Hickman writes, it's going to be impossible to really have a true sense of this after two issues. I mean, maybe when all six of these are out for both books, we'll have a good idea of where Hickman's X journey is going to go. Maybe, <laughs> you know, um, but, but no, I mean, I think, I think, you know, before we move to the next book, definitely want to talk about how, just gorgeous the book was Laraz and Gracia together especially made a hell of a book um yeah that was a treat especially after what we've had so it's amazing and I said this over Twitter uh, so many times but when Uncanny was going we didn't have like a even though there was like a brand name artist on the book it wasn't a triple a artwork coming in it it felt like second tier third tier so to finally have like one of the big 
I guess, two great art teams on both of these books. Is, right. It's like, oh, they actually care about how this book looks now. That's kind of nice. Well, and and I, I don't want to get too much into, like, metatextual stuff or whatever, but I feel like the theme and the story of this book and what Hickman is doing is very forward-looking, and I think all the creatives on the book are forward. Like, these are the next superstar artists. Mm-hmm. Guys that have been building their career kind of steadily and getting accolades, and if all if these books go as well as they could, these will define both of their careers, possibly. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and just, I like the idea, and I kind of hope that whatever Hickman does, you know, either in these two series or even, you know, afterwards, I hope we don't really get, like, any classic artist. I hope we kind of get this just everything fresh and new and looking to the future, I think, is a really interesting. And we do that creatively as well. It can make for some really exciting books. That's a that's a cool point. I um, you know, before we do jump over, and I'm sorry, Dan, if you have more to say, uh, but uh, just two more things I wanted to, to bring up here. Uh, one is they mention Omega Mutants a lot in this first book because that becomes sort of a plot point in the second book, especially in the uh, the design pages, a lot of the back the backfill, uh, backstory pages. So that was. Um, that's kind of why, and I, I kind of like that we actually got a definition for what Omega Mutant was supposed to be. And I don't know about you guys, but I had to look up who Joshua Foley was, and I had to look uh, up Alexa. who, yeah, yeah and, and Mr. M, who I had no idea was. He's from that. Um, what was that series where Bishop was a detective? Wasn't he that guy? Kind of the guy with the the uh, old. Uh, uh, Amish hat? Didn't he wear the Amish hat? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. Okay, all right. So, but he's also—I—I like, I, I had no idea that Jamie Braddock was a uh, uh, Omega level, but <laughs> he just made me think of those the, those he pages. Dan, the, the pages uh, we went over in, in Excalibur, <laughs> where his like head is tilted and he's like on strings. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was. Uh, Important and the other thing, and and then I'll shut up because I, I think Dan has more to say. But the other thing that that Hickman has said outside the book is that he has three specific time periods in his mind that he wants to go over. And he said that if things stop selling at one point, then he'll stop at this one phase, uh, and then move on to another phase. So and, and then continue that until that stops working, and then move on to another phase. And he said this could go on for decades if it needs to. So, <laughs> So I don't know if that means that like these three time frames that he's plotted out in in the uh, POX book, or if it means something else. But it's just like he's really planned this thing out like far above anything we we even thought of. I yeah, I do like also that these little narr- narrations are written in different voices. So for example, this Omega level piece is almost written in the new voice of his Xavier where he talks about the Omega-level mutants being a natural resource, like something to protect and use. Mm-hmm. It was very much like what this version of Xavier is doing. So I really like that, depending on what we're reading in these quote-unquote reference materials, the voice of perspective changes based on what it's talking about. I think that's really interesting. Right. Uh, Dan, sorry, I think I cut you off when you were speaking earlier. Uh, what, what were you uh, saying? So, after you two have um, regaled it, trying to rewind, um, so, Powers of X feels to me 
like uh, the single dichotomy of uh, there's like this really interesting uh, flip of a coin or two sides of a coin concept going on. You've got uh, a terrorist dressed in white who is an ambassador of a new nation who is making the same threats with the clout of an economic powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have Xavier, who is the messiah for the mutant nation, dressed like the Grim Reaper, hiding his face from the world. And then you have... Um, it's interesting that all the voices here, the mutant voices, are previous ter- terrorists. Cyclops is considered a, a mutant terrorist who once dressed in red and who is now in blue, which is the primary colour for most heroes, visually. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Talking about, how I, how is your family? But I will threaten it anyway. Um, like, there's this really interesting... The only sort of... I wouldn't say good guys. Um, the only sort of, like, people who don't fit the dichotomy is... Um, unless you think surprise superstar guest... Uh, Krim, the Omega Sentinel herself, uh, Krima, Krima. Um, unless you think that she's a, she's human yet Sentinel, therefore there's a duality there. But the humans themselves don't really have a secondary sort of function outside of their normal function, and I think that ties into the idea that um, the idea that they are predisposed to follow this path and right. not end well. Yeah, exactly. That that's what came to my mind when you you, you spoke about uh, Magneto saying mutants are gods, and that's how humans have seen them as a threat in that way, and that this time the mutants are actually like buying into it as a, as a whole group. And there's some interesting things in the art. the The bio biological technology of Krakoa is both reminiscent of sort of twisted grim fairy tale forests and also sort of weird horror like um Cronenbergian sure. horror yeah. element but at the same time it's proposed as a paradise which I find is interesting I think visually um moving forward we already had the island nation but it was sunken on asteroid M um hey, Dan, and honestly, I'm sorry I, I lost you there for a second um you're talking about really? the the horror vibe of Krakoa as a yeah. parallel to like Asteroid M itself, which was their previous X-Men's the X-Men previous mutant nation, and obviously before that it was um Genosha, which right. was decimated and be- became a-, a scene of horror, I suppose. Um Hickman takes unlike a, a few other writers, and I appreciate this, a lot of other writers do it too, but unlike recent X writers. Hickman takes the nostalgic elements of certain runs that he clearly likes or ideas he clearly likes and feeds them through his lens as mm-hmm. opposed to he can vegetates them like ad nauseum. And I think right. that's, that's what makes it feel different because the elements we're seeing here, mutant culture, X-Men nation, um, apart from like them being drug dealers, that's a new one. Um, <laughs> and all the like, Krakoa is, is a place where they find a new team of mutants, that kind of stuff. It's all been stuff that is used before, but this time feels different because they, like you all say, there's a, there's a purpose to, to all these elements. Also, my, my final point on the whole thing is when Power of X turned up, um, which we'll talk about, I think what we're reading from, as the info 
and you probably already guessed the info is we're reading from the mutant library itself. Um, we are the librarian reading through the mutant library. Um, ah. Each piece of information, because Hickman's very much he um, does it in East or West. He's very much multiple um, viewpoints for our readers through multiple lenses of characters. Mm-hmm, so I feel mm-hmm. like if the if the ambassadors are us, the readers getting to know this new world through the other characters telling us, because oh my god, is this exposition heavy or what? Like, <laughs> it is, but not is, in a bad way. No, no, it, it reads quite well. I do think some of the um, info things sort of s- slam the brakes on too hard flipping <laughs> the page. Um, yeah. So you've got you've got us the ambassadors, but you've also got us the librarian reading up on what happened in the past. Um, and I feel like that that's maybe how I feel like it reads. Like those little info things is that we're actually supposed to infer that we're deeper into the story because of because of us being um, quote unquote the blue guy in the next book. Okay, <laughs> interesting. So, that makes total yeah. sense. It did not occur to me, but I really like that idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. But because um, I could just be like talking out of mass, like at any film. <laughs> um, we'll see. But anyway, we have literally um, another forty-page book, which I've condensed to one and a half pages for you. All right, <laughs> all right, let's do it. So we have powers of ten, uh, or powers of X, if you want to be X about it. Um, also written by Jonathan Hickman. Uh, Arby Silva um, is the artist and inker with Adriana Di Benedetto. Um, Arby Silva is essentially channeling Immerman, by the way. In yeah. yeah. Um, We've seen this come gen- for him for a while. Yeah, I generally thought there's one panel where I was like, did they just hire Immerman for this one panel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike Garcia is the colorist. Letters uh, Clayton Clowles again, and obviously Tom Miller is design. Arby Silver and Mike Garcia do the cover, and I would say the cover is nicer than the previous cover, but it's in in this weird like X Men, Star Wars, Conan the Barbarian, very much so, yeah, um, thing. Um, also, I forgot to mention both books have quotes at the beginning, and they're not pointless, which is really refreshing for an X book. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I I really love this book because it like this not the book. The, the, I think this might actually be my favorite out of the two, just in conceptually. But I really love this front cover because I just adore the image of the sword, um, sort of separating. See, she's not, she's not really. She isn't named. I've read it five like three times. I don't think she's named at all as Moira, but it's heavily implied that it's her. Yeah, um, right. And so, I really enjoy this cover. I think it's it. It feels future forward, even though it's looking pat back design wise. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, yeah. How do you guys feel? I like it. I like it a lot. I was, I was tempted. I also, I know we haven't talked a lot about the variants. The oh Dustin, Wee- the Dustin Weaver cover is also spectacular. Um. But no, I, I ended up picking this one um, because I do just like the kind of throwback movie poster design to it and just the way the colors pop. Uh, Gracia is 
You know, we're kind of in a glut of superstar colors right now. Aren't we? It's almost yeah. embarrassing. Yeah. You know, I was thinking in the shower today um, about the colors on these books, and I was like, oh, I think he's like one of my favorite colors, except for, and I named like 12 <laughs> other colors in my right. mind. And, <laughs> you know, I don't think I can name as many writers and artists that I just love and would go to bat for and die on the hill for as, as there are colors, which is a weird thing just kind of a weird place to be in. But I really, we're in such just a superstar era of, of just numerous colors who are just hitting grand slams and Gracia is definitely one of them. For sure. You know, when, when Dan and I talk about exiles, we talk about the burgeoning digital coloring that's happening in that book. Right. And it, it really feels like, in, maybe for a few years now, we've really hit, 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 the industry has hit its stride with how to use this uh, in ways that probably we never saw coming. Um, right. And, and, yeah, this cover is so gorgeous. Uh, it, it doesn't hurt that perhaps my new favorite character is, you know, front and center of this thing. But uh, <laughs> uh, and even, especially the Nimrod design and sort of the light pink and light white colors used for... For that character in this issue, uh, I mean, this thing is just super gorgeous. Yeah. Exactly. So, The Last Dream of Xavier, um, I believe is its title, of Professor X. Um, and we are treated to four different timelines. We have uh, to the power, 10 to the power of zero, um, which is year one, uh, which is the dream. And as you can tell, there's a, there's a, there's a theme here of 10 to the power of something. And um, so we start with year one, the dream, year 10, the world, year 100, the war, and year 1000, the ascension. And kindly, instead of going crazy and chopping and changing between years, Hickman and co have done each one in order. (laughs) (laughs) The new readers. This is the thing, right? I don't know how new for me defending these books actually are. There's so much information that they may be new reader friendly, but until I until I've unleashed them on the boyfriend who doesn't read comics that much, I won't know if they're new reader friendly. I would um, say nothing's very straightforward in either of these books, and in that way, I feel like even if you know a lot of X history, you're still sort of you know searching for information and trying to figure out how the pieces fit together. So so in that yeah, way, but but I'm also not to blow what I was going to say at the end of this, but. I'm very curious to see, other than like pulling elements, how it actually connects to the overall history. Right. Because it almost feels, in some ways, separated as well. So I think oh, it's really? almost, almost more of like a brand new kind of sci-fi universe that happens to have the X-Men in it. And I think it will tie back. I really think he will. But I don't know. I mean... There are definite ways that it, it does tie into like other alternate futures that we've seen. Right, right. I don't know if you guys know we need to know them. So, I'm Dan, I'm very interested. Next time we record, you'll have to report back on on how Ian took them. Yeah. And we'll do, because I'll force him to read them. <laughs> <laughs> Here's like 80 pages. Like... Read them by tomorrow. Right, right. Like, yes. any, good, like any good partner would. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes. Year one uh, is all about young Xavier creeping around a fair, uh, enjoying doves that fly in a circle. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, but like if Hickman's going to lead into Xavier's most creepy tendencies and finally reveal that he's an absolute creep bag, I'm taking it because he is. Right. Um, well, yeah, but he loves. Not to mention House of X. There's the, <laughs> the three panels where he's just like oogling Gene. Yeah. <laughs> but here he's here he's oogling circling doves, and a mysterious <laughs> woman um, who could be or could not be. Uh, Moira, who killjoys his mood by talking about tarot cards and uh, being well informed in things that she probably shouldn't. Um, the big, I don't know, the big reveal is that um, Xavier doesn't know who she is, but she knows who he is. And then he reads her mind and it all ends in a ah, um, which I loved because the whole like, the whole massive marketing campaign was that page saying this will change everything and it's just an ah at the end <laughs> I was like we still have to wait yeah <laughs> um, and then so fast forward to present day or year 10 and uh, Mystique uh, reports back to um, Xavier has a sass off with Magneto as you do Xavier cuts through all the sass with his uh, straight talking uh, takes the thumb drive she took from damage control and talks about people owing him favours and such for mm, very ominous um, almost like he's a villain like he always has been um, so when, while we're on this page he sort of telekinetically pulls the thumb drive away from Mystique do you feel like he's sort of augmenting or adding powers via the helmet he has on or how is he doing this right so right. He's in Phantom X's body, I assume, if it truly is Xavier. Right. Which is the Sentinel body, which has been augmented to Buggery with so many minds inside it. Perhaps he has augmented the other nervous systems he has control of and um, can now telekinetically lift things. But I have once seen him telekinetically lift himself down some stairs in his wheelchair. But I can't remember if that was Ultimate X-Men or Normal X-Men. So, I don't know. Okay, then. To be honest, are, right? Are thumb drives metallic? Yeah. Possibly. <laughs> I do. Just... To, be, to, be, to be fair, everything does feel very purposeful in these books. So, like, I can't right. just dismiss his telekinesis or possible telekinesis as, right. as just something else. Because if it was someone else's right up, like, <laughs> but for Pickwood, I'm like, oh dear, yeah. who is it under that helmet? Um, so, I, I would say it's, it's either telekinesis or him. Making Magneto do it with his magnetism. Right. Mind blown. (laughs) Um, So we get to year 100, the war, a.k.a. the most Morrison era of the book. um, (laughs) With terms like Black Grain, Natural Judas, uh, (laughs) Cardinals, Rasputins, and Sinister Lines. Um, Very, very, very Morrison. We have a... um, Attitude-driven sentinel with three heads talking to a human as they're hunting down mutants. Um, but we are also—it's a really—it's a really protracted, essentially rescue sequence, where we're introduced to Cardinal, the mutant equivalent of a coward, and um, Rasputin, the mutant equivalent of a warrior. It's unfair to call Cardinal a coward. Peacetime mutant is probably the better way. But he is he is well willing to leave them behind. Like he's, he's like, I am leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Stay. My red ass is being safe. Um, 
And I love that about that. Because um, it's a complete change of what you would expect Nightcrawler to do. And obviously right. he's visually representative of Nightcrawler, but the red in him obviously is someone else. Um, and then we have Georgie's new um, favourite character, uh, Rasputin, who lives up to her name of being the I was made for this uh, type of character. The new motto is of best there is at what they do, um, I assume. Um, and it's just a gorgeous smorgasbord of astonishing panels where she tries to rescue her friend and she's like holding a sentinel arm up, she's being held back by loads of people, she's flinging energy everywhere, she's just wielding that sword with like righteous justice it, and every detail in those panels just exudes all of her emotional states as well I yeah, think it's just yeah. gorgeous no offence to the last book because it's gorgeous this one blows it out of the water visually and that's a massive statement because the other one blows most other books out of the water so like <laughs> for me the, the visual like language of this book is just stunning anyway carry to, on. to be fair to house of x that book didn't really have any like action pages it was all just set up so right uh, where this one has a lot of action especially these pages so um but, i mean but the pages were just the the four part the pages were just xavier reacting to more oh yeah just, yeah like generally like there's like there's just both books tied together uh, um with the colors have a really interesting visual language but they're both different visual languages to each other sure. mm-hmm. Yeah. One's got a lot of one's got a lot of um, I know they say it, but one's got a lot of sweeping uh, symbology and almost um, biblical references visually, and the other's um, very sort of um, modern and future references, like like human humanity's building. Right. Um, so I feel like they play off each other as a duality visually as well. Um, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, then we're back. We're back. We're still in the year one hundred, and we go to the e- the east of Nimrod, the Lesser, because these titles are totally from east of west. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we we. Um, and Hinkman loves his towers. He does love his towers. <laughs> yeah. We we find out that uh, um, Omega Sentinel is alive and is a little bit more sinister this time, and a childlike Nimrod uh, seems to be delightfully subverting uh, the text. Um, but he seems to also love giving people baths. So, <laughs> who knows? Sinister baths. Um, there's a lot happening there as well. There's a lot of that, uh, like, sort of exposition, but I'm just going to, like, brush right over it because it is literally a few elements that come story-wise. And then back with Cardinal and Rasputin, we meet... They go back to um, uh, Kokoa, the 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 asteroid, asteroid K. I'm sorry. And... Um, they meet up with the Can't Die Too Stubborn Club, um, which includes <laughs> Logan, Magneto in green, Tree Tom, and Sawn is on fire. Oh, so, is, that, uh, is that Tom Cassidy? Yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, it might be them. This is this is one of the points I want to get into later on, but I, I could see this maybe being Wolverine, but the others, it could be very different people. Tree okay. Tom. Tree Tom, right? Was last seen in Chuck Austin's X Men run. All I'm gonna say. I so just I'm... read that run the other day. That's why I remembered that. But oh, that was bad. Oh, that was so yeah. bad. So um, from there we get to year three, year three thousand. That's a song by Busted. No, anyway. Um, <laughs> we get to the year one thousand, and uh, the mutant library is open, and the librarian is having a 
little bit of trouble time trouble reading and finding out information from the collective mutant uh subconsciousness that the sentinels re- that um that nimrod recorded uh nimrod not a balloon from east of west the robot um <laughs> Discusses how pointless the human mutant war was. Uh, also, it's no one's fault. And in the future, they've totally made a Jurassic Park or like an Eden Park. Right, right. And they've just yeah. recreated, recreated Adam and Eve. Um, right. And that is the end. So I got some sort of addendums to add on to all this. Uh, so uh, starting sort of from the beginning, we've got... Um, We've got these design pages that give the backstory to how things were going, right? So we learned that Charles did team up with Mr. Sinister at some point to start breeding uh, mutants. And there were four. These are different breeding than what was going on with the, uh, the not the hunters, what are they called? The, uh, hounds. the hounds, right. Oh, mm-hmm. So we find out that, uh, what's, what's her name? Uh, the, the woman with the black brain. Oh, Sai Sol? No, that's not right. Syllabelle. Syllabelle is a product of those breeding programs. Not the sinister one, but the uh, the other one. So she's like an er- earlier version of breeding. And and they uh, it explains that a lot of those uh, from her generation were bred to be like dark agents and like uh, infiltrate the mutants, but given the way that they were bred, they turned on their masters and started working with the humans. So she's like, you know, 100 years older than any other genetic breeding program that was happening. Um, but then uh, Sinister had four other breeding programs. Uh, the first one was to just, like, flesh out one specific X gene per person. So he had, like, a line of, like, Nightcrawlers, and he had a line of Colossuses, whatever. And they were sent to help to uh, defend Krakoa. So this has me thinking that maybe when we see the first page of Charles like pulling people out of pods, that that isn't even Cyclops. That's like the first genetic breeding of his like single line X gene characters. So it is Cyclops, but it's like the first clone of Cyclops. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, then he had Generation Two, which was like a couple of. Uh, uh, these things bred together. Then there was Generation 3, which is like even more, and it's, the further we go with these generations, the, the, the further that the um, the rate of failure happens. Then we get to Generation 4, where 60% of these um, uh, like bred mutants don't work, and they end up like revolting, killing a whole bunch of mutants, and then destroying themselves. So uh, this generation, this fourth generation, is made up of the Omega-level uh, mutants, which is why they explain the Omega levels in House of X. Um, and then we see the, the diagram of Rasputin, and you can see that her uh, X gene makeup is made up of these five different um, Omega level characters. So she's part Quentin Choir, she's part uh, Rasputin, she's part Kitty Pride, and then she's part two characters who I wasn't sure, and maybe you guys can help fill, fill this in for me, but Bane and Kinney? Well, Kinney's got to be Laura Kinney with the healing factor. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting they went to the clone of a clone instead of going to Logan. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Um, I'm not sure, Dan, you know who Bane is? I don't know, actually. It didn't come off the top of my head at all. I don't even know what the power is. F-O-F-L-D? Force field, maybe? Force field. 
Mm, that sounds right. Um, Wait, is Bane, is Bane the, the name for Eunice? Like his real name? I Eunice, don't Eunice. know. I mean, that's wicked that shit. Oh. Um, let's see. Eunice. The Untouchable. Oh, right. Right, his right. real name is... Oh. Gunther B- or Gunther Bane. Yeah, Gunther Bane. Oh, wow. Yay! I win the no prize. Dan, you, you, do, you sure definitely win the no do. prize. My yeah. goodness gracious. Um, so, um, quite they, a fool, Dan. I'm really yeah. impressed. I just thought Farsfield, and he's the only one I can think of at this present moment in time. So along with all of that, like, breeding programs, we do learn that uh, Charles is working with Sinister. And at the end of all this, Sinister, like, turns on the mutants. He goes to work with the humans, and they just, like, uh, execute him. Um, but right. before all, a lot of this sort of, like, craziness happens, the mutant leadership disappears in what they call the Lost Years. And they're not sure what happened. So I'm assuming this is going to happen probably end of the House of X book. But it's probably like Magneto and Charles Xavier, etc., who disappear. And maybe that's why they're not really featured in the other X books that are going to be released. But I think it's on purpose that they disappear, right? right. Uh, I would assume so. So that's, that, that's like a lot of the, the backstory of, of what's been going on. And because they have been like breeding just single X genes and moving along... I'm I'm wondering if when when we see Wolverine and uh, the the others at the asteroid K, if maybe that isn't even Magneto, maybe that's another like cloned like bred Magneto later on. You know what I mean? Uh, these could be, could be generations down the line. And I think it's characters that could go either way, right? Right. They're all characters that could just be that old. Because mm-hmm. Logan's with this Henry Patrick could just live that long. I'm guessing. You know, trees live can live hundreds and even sometimes thousands of years. Right. So maybe, you know, Tom Cassidy is able to live. Zorn, I don't really know what his mortality status is. And Magneto, maybe he's been reborn a baby a couple more times since. <laughs> <laughs> so, so so it could go either way, right? I think. Right. It could go either way, exactly. And I think learning the backstory, there's a lot of this book that could go either way. Yeah, exactly. You no know, Cyclops being a dick. Is that real Cyclops or clone Cyclops? Exactly. Is, is Professor X even really Professor? I mean, well, that's that's part. I, of I don't want to buy too much yeah. into like going crazy like on the internet, but I do think they're interesting questions. Sure. That I'm not maybe in as much of a rush to figure out as some people, but I'm definitely curious. For sure. And the, and the last point I want to bring up is some of the failures, at least what they called failures for these later generations, was because they were trying to make like very militaristic and like aggressive mutants. So the failure, like these cardinals are failures because they're not militaristic, but there's a, a number of, of mutants who were, as they were bred, they came out pacifists. So these cardinals are like one of those lines. That's the way they were made, which is why he said, you know, he wishes he was different, but that's the way he was made. And they've yeah. decided to take the name of Cardinal. Like every, every one of these is called Cardinal and they don't have like their own names. They've sort of become their own almost like sect of, of priests who who are just like pacifists, which I thought was more religion symbology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, not to read too much in this phone thing, but like 
what I have interesting, what I have noticed in the artwork is all of the human characters and the human clone all have pupils and eyes. The pupils in their eyes, the irises. Mm-hmm. But all of the but all the mutant clones are completely like just blank eyes. Even like the four stood there are just blank eyes. Really interesting. But could just be a visual thing. Well, it could be because yeah. uh, Silabel, when she's captured and talking to Nimrod, does have pupils. So and that's what meant she's she was she was made by the Hound. She was right, right. Program. Different breeding program. Person. Oh yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Interesting. Uh, which kind of like I, <sighs> eyes the eyes are the window to the soul. Um, right. So no soul, no pupil. Interesting. But that that's me reading too much into it because Hickman's done that stupid thing <laughs> that you did. Where, where everything feels like everything feels everything like is it. important yeah. yeah a lot of it might be red herring because we we've right. all read Hickman's stuff before and the the amount of red herring like bullshit he pulls out of his ass <laughs> this is much is this as much as as the payoffs to the questions you want right so you never but that's yeah. the joy of books like there's a there's two books here right so uh they the, together they're 80 pages so let's say it's four comics there was so much more to pour over these like these four comic books mm-hmm. than like an entire year of what we just had. Yeah, um, right. I think that makes the difference for me is that good or bad, landing the landing the end or not, um, as it stands, as they read, they are so fascinating, um, yeah. and intriguing that. I can't even, like you guys, I can't even tell if I enjoyed them or not. I did enjoy them. <laughs> no, like, visually. I, right. Visually, I enjoyed them. Like, they were beautiful to look at. They read really well. I love some of the sentence structure. I I, I, I do love Hickman's, like, sort of panache for, like, really, um, sort of, po- almost like poet, like, like prose poetry or, mm-hmm. like, like, mm-hmm. like biblical, biblical texts. Like, when he was, when he, if you ever read his Ultimates run, where he's talking about, like, gods falling from the world tree. It paints a it paints a picture, um, and I do love like I do really like these books, but at the same time, because they are a piece of a much larger whole, I don't feel I don't feel like I can much like I just, I'm echoing you guys. I don't feel like I can fully appreciate it all until the the puzzle of these six issues are together, right? And I can read them right. as one. But I, I think and, and, you're like us. You're you're okay with that sort of playing out oh, for yeah. a while, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. If this is yeah. all, if 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 he cock teases us for the next twelve years, I don't think <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't want to. I, I want to be clear when I when I say I'm not sure what I enjoy. I definitely like sitting down. It was an enjoyable reading experience. You know, I'm curious to see if and Georgie may went again when I was talking about whether I it feels connected to me or not is. And there's parts of this that I think are maybe intentionally not feeling true to some of the characters, etc. And I'm curious to see where that lands. And that, I think, will flavor mm-hmm. how I'm feeling about all this. If, if at the end of this, Cyclops is reverted back to, like, a supervillain, I'm not going to like that. But, you know, but so I think it just depends on kind of where people land character-wise and in their voices and... You know who are they and what are they doing? I think that'll flavor a lot of how I look back on this mm-hmm. and whether I enjoy the characters. I definitely enjoyed the writing. Um, sure. 
Sure. Because you could infer that Hickman is writing X-Men, which is about Scott. And if he is a clone, it could be about him finding his place in the world in the Scott Summers family. Um, ah, okay. So that could be where he's going with it. Though I really don't want... I want. I, I must admit, when the word clone came up, you know how much I don't like time travel. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and clones... It's, sometimes I like them, sometimes it's I don't. Done really well, right? Yes. So if it's just like, oh, there are a bunch of clones, restart the line again. I'm like, <laughs> right, right. We're gonna let Hitman go crazy because at the end we're gonna kill them all and everyone's gonna wake up. <laughs> that would suck. That would piss me off. I don't um, think like that's where we're going. No, it does not go that way. It does not feel that way. I feel, you know, I really. I'm hoping that when I'm 60 or whatever, I can look back and just read all of Hickman's Marvel books in order, and it's going to tell this really big tapestry of, of from the evolution of what he did in the FF to the Avengers and then to the X-Men, almost as the history of the Marvel Universe evolved, right? Right. Fantastic Four being the first family, Avengers kind of that first level of superhero, the X-Men the next level, like seeing his progress through those books, I, I hate to say that anyone can have that kind of machination, but it's almost like the order in which he did these big runs was intentional. And that's just, that's nuts to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I would like to believe that was true, but I don't think. Right, I, I think, think it's impossible. <laughs> I don't think it's possible. But, but it sure is a heck of a coincidence, and and you can build. I think one thing Hickman's also really good at is building up his own myth of himself. Yeah, and, and in a good way, not in a I'm a, a a a terrible bastard kind of way, but just in a way of of building up intrigue around himself, and kind of in the same way we've made the comparison already to a Grant Morrison or a Neil Gaiman. There's like right, right. there's like there's their content, and there's also kind of this mythology of style and what you expect from them that ties into how you read that content. Sure, and I sure, think sure. He's really good at that. What I do like about this, because um, obviously Grant Morrison is the closest comparison to what he's just done um, in the Xbox, because um, it feels like a radical change of pace, um, much like New X-Men. But what I do like here is that in these two books, I already feel like the ramifications of the entire Marvel Universe will have changed because of this. Um, sure. yeah, they have people, to. People are going, other writers and that are going to have to deal with this, whereas in New X-Men, um, Morrison's one is very um, insular and just X-Men, even though the world, the stakes of the world are really high. It was only ever a sort of family affair. Um, right. And I do think that bringing in FF, the FF was a conscious decision to be like, this is going to affect everything, not just the X-Men. Um, I think I'm more excited about seeing how that works as well mm-hmm. as the future of the X-Line, but we shall see. Yeah. I, you know, there's so much to dig in, as we've already said, and so <laughs> many avenues of, of interest here. You can go down like a what are the theories? What is he up to? What is Professor X really trying to do? What what data was Mystique trying to steal? And what's going on? What is that like bubble at the end of year a thousand? Why is blah blah blah? You could go into. I think what gets me more than anything is just like the grandeur 
of this plan that's put into place and how it all fits together and sort of the, the large concept thinking of, of how this could all work, uh, I think just has my mind thinking in all kinds of so, different directions. Or you could also go into, you know, the theme of evolution of humans versus mutants and who's right and who's wrong and how do they fit together. There's so much going on that I feel like even though we have two really oversized issues, they're so jam-packed. There's just too much <laughs> happening right now. You know what I mean? That's, and that's I really, a lot to synthesize. Yeah, and I, I appreciate someone went through and, and packed this. It's like uh, you're going to get on that airplane. You've got that travel carry-on uh, luggage, and you've got to fit everything you need in. And even if it's <laughs> bulging out and you're, like, sitting on it and cracking the zipper shut, like, you're fitting this all in these 40 pages. I love that. My question, my my big question is, what is the craziest thing fan theory you've heard um, since they've been released? Uh, mine is the dome at the end of mm-hmm. of Powers of X is actually um, where Xavier is staying at the beginning. <laughs> like it, he lives inside the dome. Are you talking about um, the beginning of of Powers of X? Yeah, it's like the dome is actually. Yeah. We're not looking at you. We're looking at you, one of the X Men. But from the perspective of a few millennia inside the dome, yeah, that's what I was thinking as a possible theory. That that was mental, and then obviously everyone thinks Xavier's Reed Richards just because he's got a helmet on and he wears black. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, that was obviously intentional, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and also, funny enough, Evil Reed Richards is coming up in a book, and I can't remember which one, but he's been he's in a solicitation in some other book, so he's doing double duty as Xavier and. Evil Maniacal Reed Richards. What is yeah. what was his name? Uh, his like. Oh, I don't remember. Oh god, it was like the Mastermind or something. I was not Mastermind, but it was something like that. The, I don't know. No, no, gone. It's like the creator, the maker, the maker. Yeah, maker. Yeah. There the you maker. go. Yeah. Because what he what, what he does is, is 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 essentially what the maker does in Ultimates. Exactly. Like, his own world within a world exactly which is <laughs> maybe that's where charles got his idea from you know yeah who knows who knows um i do want to go i do want to hit a couple of your questions georgie um sure. we've talked about a lot of them kind of organically right um the information that mystique was stealing from damage control i'm really interested in the possibility of that being some version or data on the world especially if and see this is the part where i also question the connection is how much is hickman ignoring and where is he kind of picking up from so if he's going to use the astonishing thing and xavier is in phantom x's body i think that connection is something like the world totally makes sense so i find that really intriguing i don't know what soul's hammer or soul's anvil is i'm guessing it's going to be something pretty spectacularly powerful but that's mentioned on like the list of items that like have fallen between the cracks of who's who's the owner. Right. So I was like, I don't remember what that is, but I thought I'd, I'd ask you guys if you you remembered. Soul's hammer. Um, it feels very four, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> uh, was that what the uh, the base out by the uh, the sun is called? Maybe. Yes, oh. it is. Cause I've just I've just wicked it. That's it. Makes sense. That's solid. And I assume Soul's oh. Hammer is now is now the giant um, head. Okay. Yeah. 
So the anvil is probably, I don't know, interesting. Okay. Yep, that's exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. Now I lost your document. Hold on. Uh, Scroll back down to House of X. Um, I enjoy the Omega level uh, list. We talked about that. Um, talked about. What did you think about Happy Logan, Jason? Um, I mean, I think it depends, right? If we're in this kind of new age and he's in a place where he quote unquote doesn't have to fight anymore, I think he, I think he wants to be happy. <laughs> he just doesn't feel like he can be. Right. So maybe, maybe in this situation, he's taking the time to. To have a picnic and have a bunch of little jubilees. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I'm, it's funny that, you know, Sabretooth got more screen time than any Wolverine characters. I thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess we'll kind of see. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the question of whether people are cloned or the alternative to that, whether people are altered, I feel like this is... Yeah, you know, there's definitely free will because Mystique, you know, has has some some back talk. But I also feel like whatever is going on, this version of Xavier or whoever it is, has a pretty tight grasp on what's going on. So wouldn't it surprise yes. me if some people are at least, if not mind controlled, at least influenced or persuaded? Um, so I don't know. I think all that will kind of play out, and it'll be really interesting to see where it goes. Um, you know, as far as Hickman's overall theme, I think there's definitely some contemporary relevancies, um, you know, kind of power unchecked, what's the ultimate result of that, can it be sustained, can, you know, can a system of pure amnesty like, can that work? You know, how how do you how do you fight off corruption? You know, are we defeated by external factors, or is it always internal? Um, I think there's a lot of questions that kind of pop up in this story, and then it'll be really interesting to see how he addresses them. Um, you know, and I think in a contemporary world where we have people abusing power, um, definitely some. You know, it's some subtle, right? So I'm actually like trying to tell a story while hinting or shading things without saying, well, this is an analogy for the Trump administration or, you know, well, you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> like, not like that at all. No. Right. <laughs> Larger themes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and more even like in the context of bigger history, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, looking at mm-hmm. power systems and culture, like you talked about the mutant culture, looking at how culture permeates and recedes and i don't know i think i think hitman definitely has an interesting worldview and i think his stories are informed by that mm-hmm. and try to inform that and maybe even challenge and change it like almost like he both self-reflects and self-evaluates in his art um and i i, I don't know maybe that's going back to a myth he's created about himself but i don't know i i think there's a lot of potential for a lot of things to be addressed without being preached at or beaten over the head. No, it doesn't feel like that at all, uh, yeah. which is a sign of a good writer. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, <laughs> you like the fact that he does manage to make it, because only the X-Men could tell this tale of the Marvel Universe, but I do like the fact that he does offer the whole mutants as allegory standing for minority, but he offers it in in the rage that everyone 
has at the moment. Um, in the sense right. of, it's our culture. You all are scared of it, but we're going to make it. Right, um, but, and I think, but the compromises along the way too, right? Like, like what is an appropriate way to put that rage into action? And and maybe not necessarily answering that question, but asking it, right? And I think, you know, I think rage is very healthy when it's when it becomes a tool, right, versus a weapon. And I think, I think that's kind of that complex, just the things that make that get my kind of imagination going and my thoughts going. It's like, okay, there, maybe it's maybe at surface there's some pretension. But it's also very interesting. <laughs> and I, I being maybe a hair on the pretentious side myself, I like to think of these big concepts so they don't bother me, right? Like I don't mind kind of the high concept and the I, I'm trying to say something, but I'm trying to do it artistically. Like none of that. And that's why I enjoy art, right? So I think some people that's kind of a turn off. Like if it's too, too symbolic, too out there, whatever they just want, you know. They're big dumb superhero stories. To me, oh this God, is the, this is the kind of storytelling I like. Mm-hmm. They, they can be happy because Marvel Girl is Jean's now called Marvel Girl again, and in a, in a <laughs> right, right. costume. Um, that is one yeah. thing that I do criticize. Unless he truly does run with the idea that mutant fashion is unif- as uniform, and they are in different uniforms every time you see them, I'm very much like she shouldn't be in that costume anymore. I feel like right. that's like editorial forcing that upon people. Um, because it's just it's just it's a bad look. And also, the one panel I don't like in in House of X is is Sue Storm. No woman stands like that in that panel. Oh, like, I, uh, yeah, I saw, yeah. I saw a lot of that on Twitter. Um, yeah, there's like, a lot of like. There's <laughs> a hint of Greg of, Land. Yeah, kind of out of, out of what, nowhere. What I do, what I do like is um, essentially what the mutants have done. Um, he's using the allegory, basically, just like mutants are just copying everyone else. They move into a certain area, and uh, be it LGBT, be them black, be it Hispanic, they move into an area and make their own culture in that area. So it's like sure. almost it mirrors that real world um, need for uh, a persecuted minority to feel safe within their within their, right. within their walls. Even but, where at the end of uh, House of X, where Magneto's like, "Look, I did it here in Israel on purpose," like. Obviously, Israel was created after World War II, and they needed a place for these persecuted Jews to live, right? Well, yep. he also has that background of being a persecuted Jew, and now they've created, you know, him being one of the leaders, created their own world, uh, land for them to live in, for their culture to, to, to thrive in. So it sort of and, parallels that as well. And the Kokoa seeds or embassies' habitats are kind of like reminiscent or almost... Um, so allegorically symbolic of in every place around the world that are minorities that exist right. there and they live there um, as this beautiful strange entity that no they live there as their own entity but people will look at them as foreign or strange like an infection upon the land from the from the not like the normal people mm. I say normal people in air quotes but you can't see it because it's a podcast. Um, <laughs> And and so I kind of like there's there's a lot there. Like he's not just instantly going, um, this is a stand-in for a gay guy, this is a stand-in for this, this right. is a stand-in for this. It right. feels more like it's a stand-in for a cultural representation of what a minority would be like. Mm-hmm. Which is a little bit more thoughtful than some of the other things that we've seen recently. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, it, it, 
it is it is fascinating because um, obviously he's taking a lot of cues from the evolutionary cues definitely come straight from Avengers um, and the idea of changing or uh, uh, terraforming places into a system of that can be used for a different species which is what happens at the beginning of his Avengers run um, seems to be a, a opening theme and are we going to get the Council of Richards's are back? Or are we going to have a Council oh of Xavier's? Um, <laughs> so we'll see. I really uh, sort of leading on to another point, but I really do like uh, how uh, POX is framed in the, I, the powers yeah. of, of, of 10. I wanted to make sure we, we mentioned that because I did see that in your notes. Um, I think it's a, it's a brilliant kind of structure and outline. And uh, like Dan said, I'm really glad that he did it in straightaway pieces versus back and forth. I thought that was very effective. Because it makes it easier for it, it, at least he at least he thinks of the reader, right? Because <laughs> 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 no, I can just feel I feel like we've seen the sort of to and fro of different time periods in other books, and it's just nauseating because you're having whiplash because every other page is a different time frame. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, he nicely it's like vignettes, and I quite I sure. enjoy I enjoy a vignette. Yeah, it really worked with me uh, after I got through maybe the second reading. I was like, oh yeah, I really love how this is framed, yeah. uh, how it's explained. And I, you know, the other criticism, and I think is fair, uh, is that there's so much that's not told in the story that's just like here's a page of text. But you know, I I can I I think we've said it a number of times, especially on Excalibros, that like. It's a visual medium. You should tell the story visually. But there's so much going on here. You couldn't really... You need, like, another eight issues to go into. And, this right. is all that happened and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and... I, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go finish your thought. Oh, just like... I, I thought it, even though it sticks out a bit, it's not written in a way that's like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm reading a novel now. It was, like, little... <laughs> like, nuggets of information that, right. like, helped Powers of X work for me. Uh, do, you, yeah. do you know what that reminds me of? The way it was framed. I do, we have to talk about uh, the design work, even if it is reminiscent of a lot of his other works. It is beautifully like um, laid out, but mm-hmm. the whole um, thing reminds me of um, a lot of people that I talk to that read comics. Read a page, see a character, and go, "Shit, who the fuck is that?" Go to the wiki page straight away, and I feel like that's he's got that in mind. That people mm. don't just read comics or watch TV shows or stuff and just just let it flow over them. They have to know every ounce of information by like right. reading upon wiki, reading upon like some character thing or Marvel.com or whatever. And so I actually generally think that um, obviously it's purposeful, but if, not only do we read it as the as the librarian, we kind of read it like a modern day reader, where it's like this is something that's happening. This is a description. This is something that's happening. This is the description. It feels <laughs> right. like, like, like its like, own, own hyperlink. Like, yeah, it's like it's like yeah, like a hyperlink or like right. a, a post podcast, a right. post show podcast. That's how it felt like to me. Like it's almost got that in mind. Like it's like it's teasing you and taking right. the piss out of modern readers at the same time. I don't know. It right. Just... Yeah. Jason, I think... did you, I, Dan? I don't know if you have this in, in your in, in the UK, but Jason, do you remember a pop up video on like VH1? <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of that way, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, what I was saying, it kind of felt like a almost a it could be read as a from scratch sci fi adventure. I think yeah. what those do also is there's a whole lot of world building that is laid out but not gotten to. I mean, there could be whole series that spring out of those pages, like a series of all the stuff that happens on Mars, or right, you know, I mean, there's, there's like is rife with opportunities to mine that information for future stories or tangential stories, almost like, you know, an expanded star Wars type universe. Um, and what yeah. I like as well is that the other books that have been announced have almost called to do with powers X and house of, house of <laughs> and, and conceptually you right. could sort of some of them together, like the CIA book and that, but like, why are they def- why are they on Avalon? What the hell is Avalon? Why are they defending magic? <laughs> I mean, like from, from what you read, you kind of like look into them like mm, I can see that one, but those ones make no sense. Right. Um, I just like the mystery. Yeah, I just hope it's I hope it's like a, not a J.J. Abrams mystery. It's definitely it's not. Like, this is you know like he has ideas of where this is going, what he wants to say, how he's going to say it. <laughs> Imagine if it's just the box that says like the final oh. panel of effects. X uh, six is just a box that Xavier opens and it just says psych at the bottom. <laughs> and he goes and run his hand through his hair. And he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so you mentioned the upcoming books. I know y'all talked with Al uh, on your one of your most recent Skyros episodes about those. I did want to hit them briefly, but before we do that, um, let's go to grade. Uh, Hawks and Pox number one. Um, I'm gonna. I would go first. I'm gonna say a very high five out of six claws, and how they turn out could convert them to sixes later. Um, it depends on how high I am on the drug that is Hickman, but I think I might. I don't know. Artistically, uh, Powers of Ten is is so strong that I'd probably give it a six for its art. Right. Mm. But I'd give. Uh, I'm gonna go with an overall six and leave it at that, and and hedge my bets and put all my eggs in the basket. There you and go. I was writing so high on these books, especially. I mean, it's hard to fully divorce yourself from what we were reading, so right. you're obviously influenced. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, I think I am sort of uh, maybe leaning a little bit. Higher than I normally would, but for me, like this, we mentioned just the epic grandeur of everything he's trying to do here, just like stimulates my brain in a way that a lot of comic books haven't in a long time. Yeah, and then couple that with the gorgeous artwork, I'm like, I'm, I'm leaning towards a six as well. And maybe that'll go down, or maybe after we're done with both these series, I'll be like, six isn't high enough. Uh, we need to add another number, <laughs> right? Seven. Seven out of six, you know, but uh, these were, uh, and partially because of just teasing out what might come. I'm just so invested right now that uh, I'll give sixes to both of these as well. Fair enough. I'm close. I'm really close. So I I think it's safe to say we definitely really enjoyed and were really intrigued by these books, especially you know, how visual they were, how ambitious they were in the writing. Um, so let's talk about what maybe comes next, just real briefly. Like I said, I don't want to make y'all repeat yourself too much. Um, we have X-Men, which will be Jonathan Hickman and Lenny L. Francis Yu, um, which basically 
uh, I've heard many times, you know, a summer's family reunion plus Wolverine. Um, I don't, I don't really know. Some what of the great ones are like me and my brother and my other brother and my like estranged dad and my alternate <laughs> universe daughter and my wife and our pet dog. You know, it's like right. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have really no idea what to expect from that book. Um, probably a lot of history, but I guess we'll see. Um, any any thoughts on that one? Weirdly, my least excited book, but it, it depends on where it goes. Like, I'm still going to read it, but, like, I saw it and went, oh, it's all the Simmers people. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, but Hickman's writing it, so obviously he has something he wants to say with these characters. So even if, right. even if the lineup isn't like, oh, this is the lineup I wanted, it's like, well, Hickman's going to tell a Summers tale let's see the tale he's gonna tell yep i agree um for the scalabros we have a scalabro number one by teeny howard and marcus toe i'm really glad to see him on a book i'm actually excited about right i really really (laughs) like his art and not he hasn't been doing a lot that i've wanted to read lately and i'm very excited i mean this has rogan gambit i'm so happy they're still together right um you know jubilee and then uh, is that, that's North Star, right? On the other side of Betty. Richter. Uh, Richter. Uh, Betty. Richter. Oh, Richter. Richter. Okay. Um, and Apocalypse. And, of course, Betsy Braddock is the new Captain Britain. All very, very interesting concepts. Um, you know, Avalon, I really like Chris, Other Chris World. Um, variant cover. I do, too. Yeah. Betsy is uh, I'm just happy that Richter's there. Like just yeah. been like in the background going, all right, I'm I'm showing up for the gays. Um, right, it's nice, and I think that looks like potentially my favorite book because of that lineup. And I just read Death's Head, and I was just like, okay, I love her voice, um, Howard's voice. So yeah, great, great writer. Toe is Marcus Toe is know, awesome, of course. It's yeah. an interesting team. I think we're excited for this book. Like super excited to add this to our our normal lineup in October. But it's also like a not the team we thought would be together in terms of like a cast. So it's yeah unexpected. It's almost a little not weird enough. <laughs> but then you have apocalypse kind of making up for everything. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Um, then you have Marauders by Jerry Dugan and Matteo Lawley. Um, I like this lineup a lot. I mean, Storm, Kitty, Iceman, Emma, and, you know, Bishop and Pyro, fine. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm really curious to see. And Dugan can be great sometimes, so I'm hoping this will be one of his great books. Uh, these seem to be kind of, almost, this sounds, the description almost sounds more like a typical X-Men book, right? The team going around, fighting for mutants. Um, right. So, yeah. It's a great logo. Yeah, definitely. That front cover is everything to me. It's my phone background. Is it it, 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 it? it allows me to sleep at night. That was the Dartmouth <laughs> is just the best thing. And right. to be honest, I saw I saw that lineup, and I've been reading uh, some of Duggan's um, uh, Uncanny Avengers and um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'm kind of like, you know what? I will give you the I'll give you money for this. I will. Right. 
And my web page just froze. What are the other books? Hold on. We have uh, X-Force with Benjamin Percy and Joshua yes. Kass- Kassara. Yeah, the other book with Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. This is a uh, huge cast. It is. And then we also have, uh, what's the one with Laura? Uh, um, Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels, yes. Uh, Brian Hill and Simon Kudransky. I'm not yeah. a massive fan. I'm not a massive fan of the artist, but I really like Brian Hill. And those three characters could be really interesting to see. Or should I say, Laura is the most interesting to me. Well, but, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I'm intrigued to see because I really like Brian Hill's writing. And and for um, the other one, X Force. Oh yeah, go ahead. X Force is like the least excited book I'm about. To be honest. <laughs> I, I looked at it and I was just like, I do. And I'll give it a go. I, I was happy to see that Domino is uh, is going to be on the team, and they've confirmed that she's keeping the costume from her like solo series. Oh, nice, good, good, good. So maybe they'll keep more of that that characterization as well, which would be awesome. I hope so. I hope so. I always like Quentin Choir, so I'm fun to see him around. Um, and then the last one is New Mutants by Hickman and Brisson together, and then what I'm most excited about art by Rod Rice. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so his his stuff on Exiles was just oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, really great. And, and I'm really curious too because one of the things we've seen him do is channel Sinkevich before. And of course, uh-huh. you know, some of the better new mutant run was by Sinkevich. So I'm curious to see like is he is he gearing up to bring back Warlock or you know, I mean that's a very interesting kind of uh some options there. So I think overall a promising outlook on some new books. Um, yeah. You know, I think kind of a, a spread of different characters from different eras and, yeah. you know, maybe some more diverse lineups, I think is kind of some of the things y'all keyed on when y'all were talking with Al that I definitely noticed as well. Um, yeah. I think, I think a lot of potential. So for sure. I am, I, miss, I am missing Nightcrawler. Like, Where's my Nyquil then? That's all I ask. Yeah, I don't know. There's going to be more more books, so we'll see when he, he comes up. Right. Maybe we'll get a Nightcrawler Honey Badger book. Like just a, a oh, duo. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think right. um, as far as the Excaliburs go, the, the other book, obviously we're going to review um, Excalibur, but this New Mutants book has two former... A Gen X members on it, so it's ah, like yeah, with Chamber and Mondo. So I'm, I'm like in the back of my head, I'm like, do we need to cover this as well? Because this would be an interesting <laughs> book to cover. Y'all start getting full. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I, I love that you know we saw House of X just either resurrecting or healing or whatever with these characters, but New Mutants is like uh, was killed in Uncanny, killed in Uncanny, killed in Uncanny. Nope, they're all back alive again. So right. Yeah, and we we may or may not explain it. Yeah, depends on, <laughs> on how much deference we want to give that run, I guess. Um, <laughs> and so. and la- lastly, just the you, know, you mentioned Al, he was a great guest. Uh, like brought a lot of class to our our, oh, uh, yeah. our podcast. So just happy that we got to uh, have him on. Yeah, usually we're just chaos, but now it was nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of of chaos or lack of, I actually feel like this episode went pretty. 
pretty orderly, but we are at about the two-hour mark, so mm-hmm. uh, probably ought to go ahead and, and start wrapping up. Any sure. final thoughts besides just the big sigh of relief of the change of the guard? Go ahead, no. Dan. I, I would say my final thoughts is uh, the future looks bright. Doesn't the it? Universe. Yeah. And not everything will be perfect, right? There's going to be some missteps, I'm sure. Right, but, right. but it just it, it just feels very optimistic. You know, I've, I've worked for a number of companies, and some companies you feel like they know what they're doing, they have a plan, and some they're just like flailing uh, and hoping that something sticks. I feel like before Hickman, uh, for Uncanny, it was just like, uh, I don't know, we're just doing stuff. Right. Where this feels like, hey, we have a goal, we know what we're doing, Maybe not every line has been perfectly carved out, but we have a direction we're going to. And I'm, I'm just most excited that we have a plan, and it feels like we're going to stick to that plan to some degree. So that's it, that's brought some hope into my life. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm looking forward to some more upbeat episodes in the future, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and not feeling like I – oh, yeah, I can't let this go on air. Um, hopefully I will not continue to kill your love of comics. Um, oh, no. <laughs> it was not your fault. It was not your fault. I feel like um, I'll go back to my horribly uh, um, over over overwrought into comics days, where I talk about books I'm in love with, as opposed to books I despise. Right. Um, all right. I apologize in advance. No, not at all. Like you said, I mean, when you have a show like this, that kind of is focused on content versus your own desire. And there's, there's pros and cons to that. But one of the cons is sometimes you have to read some stuff that you don't love, but I, I'm hoping that we're going to be mostly past that. And I'm very much looking forward to, to our future conversations about these books. So, but that's not the only place people can hear you. They can also hear you on Excalibur. So why don't y'all briefly plug uh, your, your main show? You can find us on Excalibur on podbean.com forward slash Excalibur. I assume with all the books that come in, we'll have to have two episodes a month instead of one. <gasps> Great. <gasps> um, <laughs> and um, you can find us by just searching us um, on the Google. On the Google. I sound like I'm 40 million years old. <laughs> um, Pikmin's broken me. Right. Um, that happens. Uh, exactly. So you can find us on Google. Um the only other thing that turns up is some random Destiny 2 stuff, but no one cares about Destiny 2. Um, and then, obviously, you can talk to us at Excalibur1 on Twitter and tell us how wrong or right we are about everything. There you go. Sounds good. Um, obviously, for the podcast, it goes Snicked. Uh, Twitter is at Snickcast. Feel free to like the Facebook page. And um, Facebook shares, retweets, always appreciated. Uh, definitely go check out Scalabros and maybe look if you're interested in supporting them on Patreon. Um, and as always, guys, a great pleasure. I, you know, the content up and down, the uh, the friendship and the podcasting camaraderie camaraderie is is pretty consistently always up. And so I just love having you guys on and very appreciative of it. We love and... being on, even if we're just like ragging on bad books. We still have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, all right. So, go go listen to if you haven't. I'm gonna give you a challenge. At least one listener has probably never listened to it, Scalbro. So, go download their whole catalog 
and you have until the next episode to listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, we will try. um, Obviously, you know, we're getting into back to school time and all that. My my goal, if we can make schedules work, is to do every two to three weeks through the next couple of months. And so hopefully that'll work out. We can stay pretty much on top of these books because one thing we realized can't let Hickman stack up on you, no, <laughs> or, no. or you will never get through it. So um, have, we'll try. I have a note. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we'll be as consistent as schedules will allow, but definitely look forward to having, having these guys back on. So until next time, everybody, hugs and snicks. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> and snacked. <laughs>